Our Three Cents is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, please go to greenlitpodcasts.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating the very finest video games. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I'm joined by my childhood friend Chris Dow. Spy fiction. And my adulthood friend Minty Booth. 32 and flirty too. (laughs) And we are counting down our top 100 favourite video games of all time. Announcement! Announcement! We are cruising to the final stretch of this podcast's premise as we're almost done with our third favourite games of all time. Just six more games to talk about before we pack up this whole idea and never speak to you again. <laughs> no, just kidding. We, we've, we've got loads of plans for the future of the podcast beyond our top hundreds. And if you'd like to be at the forefront of those very exciting plans, then you can back us on our Patreon page, patreon.com slash our three cents. Not only will your financial support mean that we can keep expanding this podcast in new and riveting ways, but you'll also be rewarded for your support by having access to a whole suite of tasty perks. Things such as deleted scenes and outtakes from all the episodes past, full bonus episodes exclusive to Patreon, including our forthcoming special all about the most immersive video game experiences we've had. And you'll also get access to the Patreon-exclusive Discord channel, where you can chat with us and the other Patreon subscribers and also our wonderful range of special guests from our bonus episodes this season. We're always chatting in there about what we're playing, what ideas you might like to see us explore on the podcast in the future, and we'd love to have all of you lovely listeners be a part of that. So do please head over to that Patreon site and have a look. For all of our other social media channels, including Facebook, Twitcher, Twitgram, Instatube, and Utweet, head over to our Linktree page. That is linktr.ee slash O3C podcast. So this week we have my third favourite video game of all time. I'm I'm so excited to talk about this. I'm excited. Oh, it's a tasty one. It is. It's delicious. You'd serve it with hot soup. But before we do that, it's time to return to the scene of the quiz. As we left it last week, Chris has somehow managed to claw himself a five-point lead. Because I'm brilliant. You've done well. You've done well. I'll say that. But who knows? We've still got time. Minty, you've still got time to turn it all around. I'm glad to hear that. Thank you. So the round this week I've called Sometimes Words Hurt. And what I've done for this round, I'll be reading you an extract from a review of one of your favourite games. Only these reviews are on the more <laughs> negative side uh, of, uh, of reviews for those games. And you have to try and guess what game it is. Oh, uh, they're boy. all games from your lists and you'll have three each. And I'd like to thank Patreon subscriber Gene Limbrick for the suggestion of this round. This should be a lot of fun. See if you can guess what games these are. Okay. Minty, your first one. Here we go. The whole idea of a platformer as a scavenger hunt has aged as well as a tuna sandwich left out on a hot California day. Oh... Uh, I'm going to go for Banjo-Tooie. That is the correct answer. Yes. Well done. Well done. Pissed it. Well done. Chris, your first one. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. This game probably should have been a short movie. 
or a short story, or a radio play. It should have been something other than a minimally interactive, multi-hour, first-person perspective video game. It's not the stuff of video games. It doesn't work. Oh, okay, it's got to be Firewatch? That is the correct answer. Yes. Well done. Well done, yeah. yeah you ain't taking yeah, my lead, yeah, boy. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Minty, your second one. Yeah. A well-done and extremely beautiful JRPG, but today we demand more from the genre. We need more than just a great look and cute characters, and this game fails to give us that. Oh boy. A JRPG with cute characters. Uh, I think it might be Xenoblade Chronicles X. That is not the right answer. I'm afraid the game that was being described there was Tales of Vesperia. Oh, oh okay. I didn't know that either. Oh. Okay, Chris, your second one. Okay. Neon-coloured retro entertainment that's perfect for short sessions. There's not much in terms of depth, though. <sighs> Neon. TXK? That is not the right answer. Oh. No, I'm afraid the answer is Super Hexagon. Oh, annoying. Minty, your last one. It might have been possible to deal with such a ridiculously bad setup if Melee was limited to bosses and occasional encounters. But in a wicked bit of irony, the miserable perspective is paired with an insanely ludicrous amount of battling. Uh, oh, I think that might be the wonderful 101. That is incorrect, I'm oh. afraid, The answer is actually Kingdom Hearts. Oh, God. Oh, Mortal Kombat was good that, in Kingdom really Hearts. That's really harsh. Yeah. There we go, there we go. Okay, Chris, your final one. You ready? Yeah. It is very frustrating at times, and loads of fun at other times. And on the whole, well worth a play, though, with the magnificent ending making it all worthwhile. (laughs) Frustrating sometimes, good other times, but a good ending. Christ, that could could be anything. (laughs) That could be be any game in the world. Ah... I, I haven't got a clue. I'm, I'm going to pass. I honestly don't know. The correct answer is Ico. Oh, yeah, never guessing that. <laughs> well, the round ends with one point apiece. So, yeah, no point in me doing that. Thanks, guys. <laughs> so, what have we played this last week? I'm going to kick this off because I've got quite a bit to talk about later on. So, I'll, uh, I'll blast through this. So, I mentioned it briefly last week that I'd made a start on Monster Hunter Stories 2. And I have continued that, and I'm having a really good time with it. It's a good twist on both the Monster Hunter formula and, like, the JRPG Pokemon-y type formula. And by, by like, fusing the two concepts together, it's, it's really effective. There's a lot of the strategic combat elements from Monster Hunter Rise, but it's transplanted from being, uh, you know, real-time action into a turn-based setting. And I really, I really do like the combat system in this. Like the general way it works is on a simple like rock, paper, scissors setup. Not like with Pokemon where a water move will beat a fire Pokemon. So instead, like the attacks have a different type. So you can choose to either do a power attack, a speed attack or a technical attack. And a power attack will beat a technical one, technical beats speed and speed beats power. But the twist comes from trying to figure out what attack the enemy is going to attack with. So you can use the counter one. And you can generally guess from like looking at the type of monster. So like if it's like a big bulky creature, it's probably going to be using power attacks. So, you know, you need to, to go at it with speed attacks. Or if it's like a jumpy little, I don't know, velociraptor type thing, it's probably going to go for speed. So then you 
use a technical attack. Uh, but they're capable of like changing it up as well. So you've got to keep on your guard and you've got to really sort of look at what the monster's doing and sort of think about its behavior. And then, you know, you tailor your attacks and your monster's attacks accordingly, targeting their weak areas if it's a large monster, changing your weapon to one that would be more effective against it. And yeah, it's, it's really, really satisfying when you pull it off and you feel like a mental victory uh, rather than just like pulverizing flamethrower on every enemy for half of the game like in pokemon it's uh yeah it's good it, it, it's uh it really makes you sort of appreciate each of the battles uh which is rather than it just being like an interruption but I, i'm still early days with it but i feel like i've got my head around its main mechanics now and i think i'm right on the cusp of being able to unlock the ability to like share genes across different monsters with like sort of different attributes so i can sort of tweak how i'm breeding them and raising them to get like a more effective version of a particular monster so i'm really looking forward to doing that and continuing my adventure i will say the performance of the game is a little bit shaky on the switch i haven't played it in docked mode yet but in handheld mode there's a fair few frame rate drops in some of the busier environments which is a bit of a shame because like the art style of the game is is really gorgeous and like Monster Hunter Rise ran incredibly well. Yeah. But yeah, it, I mean, it's it's not enough to detract from my enjoyment of the game. I did sort of toy with the idea of buying it on Steam and saving it to play on my Steam Deck when I get that at the end of the year, but I just I really wanted to play it now, so <laughs> you know that's that's a concession. I mean, I've had a, a pretty full on work week, so I haven't played too much of it. Instead, I've settled for some short, relaxing bursts of Jupiter's new Picross game, themed around the games of the Master System and the Mega Drive. Yes, I mean it's Picross done by the people who do Picross best. It's great. Like reading a couple of reviews, they sort of picked up on the fact that. Is a bit of a missed opportunity to do something a bit more with the theme like they did with sort of like the RPG light elements in Pokemon Picross and some of the little twists on the formula in the Legend of Zelda. I can't remember what it was. I think, was it like Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess HD tie-in Picross game? Uh, yes. Or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, it's still great to do Picross puzzles and it's fun when you see the games these pictures come from. There's loads of content in there. So, yeah, I'll happily keep chipping my way through them and it's just been a nice little way to occupy my brain but not too much and that's it really i'm hoping that i get a bit more downtime this week to get back into monster hunter stories especially as i've seen a plus version of the original game the first game has now been put on apple arcade which is is really really cool because that's like like on the app store that's a 20 pound game and I think I mentioned last week, and I, I, I don't know if like how much like microtransactions play into the game, but I sort of talked a little bit about that because I'd I'd read something somewhere, but I haven't, you know, like I said, I don't know how it actually works in reality. But I'm guessing if that is a contributing factor to the game, because it's now on Apple Arcade, like they have a, a strict like no microtransactions policy, so I'm imagining that will be removed or tweaked or something. But yeah, that's going to be nice to have a go at at some point. But uh, yeah, I just can't get enough of those monsters, mate. Love them. <laughs> Love them. <laughs> Minty, what have you played this last week? Have you managed to play any more Snake RX? Yes, I've done a couple of playthroughs. I think I'm up to New Game Plus 2 now. Nice. Yeah, I got to plus 1 just today in a little bit of a little bit of downtime. I snuck in a little... I had a very good run. Ooh. Yeah, what what do you like? Go do, do you have a particular class or skill tree that you go for? Not really. I'm still just sort of experimenting. I sort of went for a bit of an all-round mix, really. I think my, my final snake was... It was just sort of maxed out 
versions of like the swordman. There was the squire to sort of boost everybody else, a cleric, pyromancer. Oh, uh, yes, yes. Something else, some sort of storm keeper, storm bringer. I don't know, something, something like, like that. that. Yeah, something stormy. So I didn't experiment too much, but it was, yeah, it was a good setup. And I enjoyed sort of tweaking it a bit more and the order of them, sort of the order they go in the snake and stuff. And yeah, it's very, very good. It is good. Yeah. Yeah. So simple, but very rewarding. Mm. It's like tower defense and arcade and roguelike boiled down to like its purest, most minimalist form. It's superb. Yeah. Yeah. It's really great. Speaking of superb... I've finally got around to starting to play Skyward Sword. Ooh, yeah. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. And in my head, I know that it's a good game. But... In your hands. (laughs) In my hands, (laughs) in my heart, I'm not particularly enjoying playing it that much. No. I'm enjoying playing through it, but the actual uh, minutiae of the playing, more specifically, swinging your bastard sword around is... Oh, it, I, I just, I just can't do it. I'm in the, uh, I'm in the desert now, where all the enemies are electric. Mm. So, in theory, I know that if if the enemy has their sword over their head, you need to sort of go from the side or from underneath. But I just don't know the best way to do it with the control stick, and I refuse to do motion controls because <laughs> why, why should I have to work when I want to play? Well, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so I'm finding combat tricky, um, especially now that if I do it wrong. I don't just get knocked back a little. I actually take damage. So yeah, that's been disheartening. But also, I'm not getting on with the menu particularly well either because using the uh, using the right trigger to not only use your item but bring up your item wheel, and then having a couple of different ways that you use an item. For example, bombs. It's it's too much. It's too much for one button. Just give it a screen in the pause menu. That's all it needs. But <laughs> yeah. So I I am enjoying it, but it just it's it's arduous at the moment. How many hours in are you? Let me have a look. I'm not at a save point, but um, it hasn't shown up on my profile as played for ten hours or more. So it means you haven't played it for okay. ten days yet. Like I said. Uh, when I spoke about it a couple of weeks back, it took me about eight, nine, ten hours before things started to click. And, you know, I know I've, I've said specifically in the past that you shouldn't have to sort of endure, a, a you know, a miserable first ten hours to then enjoy the other 30. But it, it does, it, it's asking a lot of you to sort of control it so differently to anything else. You know, as well as you know, like I, I think it's worth persevering definitely to experience the story, and I did really start to enjoy the action as well. Um, after I sort of got over the cusp. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sticking with it. So yeah, that, 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 that that's all I've been playing really. Just, just those two. I will, I, I will plow on with Skyward Sword. Fear not. Good. And then hopefully I'll have a a, a more generous appraisal next week. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Hopefully, like I said, yeah, you'll. Uh, You'll get over that style in, in in and enjoy just a lovely field full of cows. Hmm. Chris, how about you? What have you played in this last week? I've not played so much as I have collated and collected this last week. Okay. <laughs> Basically, I, I traded in some games to CEX the other week. And while snooping around trying to find something to buy in store, they had just like a little two terabyte portable hard drive in one of their cabinets. Mm. And it sort of pushed me to start a project that I've been mulling over in the back of my head for years now, but just never had the the inclination to bother doing. And 
basically I, I love retro stuff. I love emulation. I like having access to big full ROM sets. And my plan for a long time has been to try and centralize everything. And I did a bit of research just at the start of this holiday, actually, like kind of the the best way to to do that to sort of formalize everything in one place to have like a, a front end that will will run the whole the whole library uh, and i found a piece of software called launchbox which was recommended as kind of a way to do just that essentially something that would act as a sort of visual library for for any games you want to put into it but it also acts as kind of a, a seamless go between to any distinct emulator you might have running in the background and it's just really really cool for one just just seeing the artwork for all the thousands of games I've amassed over the years in these collections is is really exciting. And for a long time, I've had emulation setups, like I've mentioned on the podcast lots of times about my Vita or the Shield TV that I used, uh, you know, as my set-top box kind of thing. And they're both really good and they're, and they're serviceable for what I was using them for, but they don't have enough grunt to pull off like this extra visual layer that Launchbox gives you. And running it on my laptop it will scrape for artwork it picks up screenshots it adds kind of metadata and links to you know a, a game's wikipedia page and stuff like that if you want more information That's nice. and then from there it just it lets you kind of see these games with a bit more personality and also gives them proper discoverability because mm. i have a lot of roms and for a long time <laughs> i you know you never scratch the surface because if, I, if I'm looking through a Mega Drive library, I just wait until I see something I know. And then it's like, oh, 10 minutes on Comic Zone will be a laugh. Whereas <laughs> now seeing kind of like what games actually look like, I can sort of maybe think, oh, I vaguely remember that. Or, you know, it, it just, it's like putting a, a face to a name sort of thing. And it's also meant that for the first time in a long time, I've been sampling games from all sorts of weird platforms that I've never given any time to. So that includes things like Sega's first home console, the SG-1000. Oh, uh, yes. It includes the, the Nokia N-Gage <laughs> and things like that. Because for the first time, I, I can be kind of informed as to what games are like and if they're worth giving a play. And some highlights I found from kind of digging through. Safari Race on the aforementioned SG-1000 is, is a pretty good but rudimentary racing game. But it's notable because it's the first title to ever feature a licensed car, oh. <laughs> which was interesting because this is like the early 80s and it was the first time that it was an actual, you know, a particular vehicle that was being used, some sort of rally car or something. I played a bit of Flicky, the old arcade game that informs the gameplay of Sonic 3D. Oh, yeah, of Because course. I, I played it a lot on the Mega Drive. I've played it in the arcade before, but I never knew it had a Sega CD port mm. that has CD quality soundtrack that I never knew existed. So to kind of see something I know, but in a new context was quite fun. The Engage actually had some proper exclusives, really? which I, I never knew about. It had its own Elder Scrolls title, what? <laughs> which was uh, subtitled Shadow Key for anyone who's interested in digging that one out. It also has a surprisingly good first person shooter called Ashen that playing now on a dual stick controller is really easy, but I cannot yeah. imagine what it was like trying to play on a D-pad and phone button. Jesus. But, you know, it was there. It existed. <laughs> Warrior Land from the Virtual Boy is really, really good. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's, it's a proper stepping stone between the more straightforward platforming of Warrior Land 1 and then the more exploratory style of Warrior Land 2. Mm. And it's the only place you can play it. it. It was on the Virtual Boy, sold 10 copies, and that was it. And it's a real shame. Yeah. It's the type of game that really should have been on the 3DS. Yeah. I don't understand why more of that library didn't come to the... Well, I say, I say more of that library. None of the library came to the 3DS. And it was such an easy shoe in for Nintendo to kind of celebrate the that weird part of their history. But 
either way. And lastly, I found out for running this on, on a proper laptop, Saturn emulation on the PC is far more refined than I ever knew. Oh, really? We're talking like 99% compatibility. Wow. And so far, I've, I've been looking through all sorts of games, like playing the classics like Sega Rally, stuff like that. But also digging through old shooters that the console received in Japan, like long after it was dead in the West. Yeah. And everything just runs seamlessly. Like it is, it's really amazing to see. Amazing. And as with any of these projects, like it is all a waste of time, really. This is very much <laughs> me being on a holiday and just spending my days doing nothing. But it's been such an enjoyable waste of time. And my thinking too is that because this, I've made this into like a portable project, all the ROMs, emulators, config files is all on the hard drive. It's it's completely plug and play. Like I could put it into any machine, and the whole thing's just there to see. That's so cool. So in theory, and this is th- this is very much in theory. <laughs> you know, I could Velcro it on the back of a Steam Deck, and then I have yes. two terabytes of, of emulation right there. Maybe. Like, yeah. I'm sure there's going to be some problem, but at least in my head at the moment, it's like this has kind of a future power as well as being something that I'm doing now. Yeah. The last week as. You both know, but no one out in the world does. It's been a bit of a fractured time at home because we've had a bit of illness in our family, which has meant everyone's kind of been on their toes a bit. But having this as kind of a silly little collection project running in the background has been really good, whilst at the same time not being something I have to sit down and play a game for five hours. So it's it's kind of hit all the right notes for me, scratched the right itches, and I've, I've really been loving it. Good. Oh, I'm really, really glad. That's excellent. I mean, I look forward to hearing what, yeah, what other strange, strange games you managed to find from uh, <laughs> all the corners of the earth. <laughs> There's a lot. So, do you guys want to know what my third favourite video game of all time is? I can say, at the moment, I would like to know more than anything else in the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a big one today. After last week's bombshell, that Minty's all-time favourite game was not A Link to the Past, but it was actually his third. I think I might be about to pull the same trick today, because my third favourite game of all time is my first and favourite JRPG. It's my favourite Sega Saturn game. (laughs) It's possibly my favourite soundtrack of all time. It's, It's a veritable masterpiece that has been eclipsed by so many other games in its genre for so many other people but not for me. This game will always reign at the top for me. Other games come close, but for me, nothing is quite like Shining the Holy Ark. (laughs) Here it is. So for a long time, I enjoyed this game vicariously through my brother Alex as I watched him play it. I didn't really know what was happening, but I enjoyed watching him go through it. An RPG of this style and scale was, was very new to both of us, I think. There was even a moment, like right at the very start of the game, there's a lengthy cinematic that happens sort of after, you know, the prologue uh, where you see your, your party of characters uh, resurrected uh, by these spirits. And uh, the first time we got to that bit, we just assumed we died and turned the game off and started again. <laughs> Turns out that was a little thing called story. Now, let me tell you about the story of this game. It's, I mean, it's a pretty typical RPG setup in a swords and shields fantasy land filled with strange monsters, powerful forces and magic. You take control of a, of a main hero He's apparently he's called Arthur, but you get to name him before you even start the game. So he was always called something a bit more epic, like Johnny. (laughs) And you're a mercenary who teams up with a couple of other mercenaries by the names of Melody and Forte. And you're hired by the King of Enrich, which is the capital in this world. 
to hunt down and capture a renegade ninja called Rodi. And the game opens with your party entering the mines where Rodi is hiding, but as you do battle with him, a strange aircraft crashes through the roof of the mine and causes it to collapse and temporarily kill all four characters, which is, yeah, where the misunderstanding came from for me and Alex. Uh, the part we, we missed was when some kind of spirits possess the bodies of your character, Melody and Rodi, uh, revive them. But Forte is resurrected by an evil spirit and, and vanishes to do evil, I think. And, I mean, there's some, some very strange and surreal sections that open the game that set the premise of the story and the, the threat that you now face, which were all quite nightmarish. Uh, there were, like, choral echoes as you were creeping through the darkness of some ruins and then in, like, flashes of lightning, characters would appear and disappear in front of you saying such things as... Will you join me in spinning the threads of destiny? And, and as a small boy, I was thinking, I, I did not sign up for that. <laughs> and then, you know, like an, another character would be like, will you aid me in resurrecting the thousand year kingdom? Ah, huh? <laughs> absolutely no idea. I mean, I'm quite amazed at how little I still really know about this game. I, just, I don't know what the Holy Ark is. Like, I don't know where I'm going uh, or, or fighting really, or what, what I'm fighting, why I'm doing it. It's... There's all kinds of stuff going on. But as Minty said about Link to the Past last week, this game is all about the journey you go on and the friends you make along the way. <laughs> now, your, your party grows from three up to an eventual eight if you know how to get the secret character to join your ranks. And you'll generally have several encounters with all of these characters before they become party members as well. And they're all really, just really brilliant and diverse characters that have great personality that, you know, comes across in... Obviously, it's just text and a little little headshot you know but it, it conveys a, a lot and it feels then very exciting when you finally buddy up with them and all of a sudden you've got you know like the mighty power of the dragon warrior basso in your lineup and his mercenary partner lisa uh Rody's little sister akane uh, joins you after you meet her in their hometown in the far east village or when you manage to rescue forte from his evil possession and have him rejoin you brilliant it's just just brilliant I'll talk briefly about the combat, but it's it's nothing groundbreaking. It's classic JRPG. You can attack using your weapon, you can do magic. Each of your characters has a specific type of magic that they're, you know, particularly proficient in, if that's like lightning, water, fire, or like healing or whatever. And you can obviously upgrade your weapons and your armor to enable you to develop the different attributes of your character. Like one nice touch I like is that each of the weapons usually has like a power attack tied to it, which is sort of like a critical hit that would also come with its own specific animation. So even though you'd just, you know, just be changing something in a menu and altering your stats, your progression felt like it had a tangible outcome in the fights. And like all of the animations coupled with like the sound effects made the combat feel really effective. Like, your main character has a sort of a lightning magic type spell called Spark, and you sort of unlock... You unlock upgrades of your magic, so you get spark level one, two, three, four. And when you get that up to its full, like you could really feel the power of the lightning bolts raining down. If like it, it felt so so violent, <laughs> and uh, you could really feel the effectiveness of like a new sword slicing through your foes like a whisk. <laughs> and, and even though it's it's definitely on the more basic end of the spectrum in terms of how turn based battling has evolved in games. It's also so perfect. It's like the pure distillation of turn-based RPG combat. And even though like I've enjoyed, you know, like an advanced class-based system and boost points in things like Octopath Traveler, 
or like I was just saying with Monster Hunter stories too, or even the way like Pokemon's basic battling has evolved to include Gigantamaxing, Zed moves, Mega Evolution, even like simple things like holding items to affect how your, you know, how your Pokemon attack and defend and all that sort of stuff. Every single time I play a new RPG, I'm always kind of hoping that it's just got a nice, simple, stripped-back battle system like Shining the Holy Ark. Even, like, Golden Sun augmented things with, like, the Jin system. And, like I said, I always learn to embrace it, pretty much. But there's something about that, just that classic setup being so simple uh, that I just, I'll always love. There is, like, one element that Shining the Holy Ark has in its battle system, which I've never seen in anything else. So, throughout the game... If you search in like secret little places, you may find a pixie to join your party. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and these like fairies have come in five different forms. So you had pixies, fairies, leprechauns, succubi and incubi. And each of these could be used at the start of a battle to give you a bit of a bonus attack. I'll, I'll come on to this aspect a, a bit more later on. But because you're playing the game in, in first person uh, rather than third person or top down that you usually see in RPGs. And because you would encounter enemies whilst exploring, the monsters would appear from different directions. So they might come straight at you from the distance. They might come in from the left or the right or from above or below. And each of your pixies related to a particular attack direction from the enemy and you use the shoulder buttons on the satin pad to cycle through them, and you have a brief window to select the right one for that battle and send them out to do a bit of extra damage. And the more of each type of pixie you found, the more powerful that attack would be. And it meant that you were always on your guard as you were exploring these different areas and dungeons and such, poised for battle to make sure you sent the right pixie out. It's, it's a really fun system, and it definitely added something to the level of tension when exploring. And it was, I mean, it was another thing that was just really satisfying to execute effectively. So I've talked about the friends you made along the way. What about the journey you went on? <laughs> There's loads of locations in this game. Like, each location you go to has a brilliant, unique design and atmosphere that means, like, you really remember them. Rather than just being samey biomes that merge into each other, like... The desire minds where you start out and also where you end up much later on in the game, they feel claustrophobic and perilous, especially after they collapse in the opening of the game. And obviously there are some minecarts that are fun. Then you've got places like the Forest of Confusion and the Forest of Aborigine, which has this really beautiful tranquil music that starts and slowly becomes more and more dissonant as you venture deeper in. And it's just, it's really scary. There are some beautiful little particle effects in these forests as well. It's it's what me and my brother sort of refer to as like just, just little bits of magic floating in the air. <laughs> it was just really, I don't know, it's just a lovely sort of atmosphere to it. And even deeper in the forest, there's a haunted mansion, the Aborigine mansion. And there's, they're like the graveyard catacombs. You've got then the dungeons of Enriched Castle. Then you've got like the three main shrines you go to in the game, like in the south, the west and the east. The south shrine's got this like totemic Egyptian-esque design that makes you feel so small. And the west shrine with its like flooded waterways and giant turtles to help you get around was always quite tranquil. But the enemies were really, really tough in there, I remember. The East Shrine has this, like, open-air feel to it. Like, uh, you'll be seeing, like, balconies and climbing plants, like something out of, I don't know, what I imagine the Hanging Gardens of Babylon look like. And then you've got, like, the villages that you go to. You've got Desire Village, which is, like, the first place you come to. It's very quaint and gentle. You've got the big city of Enrich. You've got the mystical Far East Village. And then you've got this epic and surreal uh, Mirage Village, which is home to the Tower of Illusion, which is one of the last areas you go to. Like, every single location is an absolute banger. 
like even there's a there's an area in the game which is uh, the mountain caves which is your route between enrich and the far east village and that could so easily just be a miscellaneous cave i mean particularly as the saturn didn't have a huge amount of grunt to sort of render lots of detail and stuff like that but like in those caves you've got the boss of that area which is this giant snake just weaving its way through the whole caves and you know you'll, you'll come across it and it'll be like blocking your way or something or you'll see it slither off and it's it's just so tantalizing for like gearing up for that boss fight i touched on this earlier so the first person perspective thing uh, like it's something i haven't seen done a huge amount of even though like i know the shining series earlier entry shining in the darkness on the mega drive was built on like a similar system with that first person sort of dungeon crawling but there was something very engaging about it being from your character's perspective even the battles like when you go into a battle you would see the other members of your party appear in front of you to do their attacks but when it was your turn you you know the camera would charge forward in first person to do your ones and whilst it was you know nice to know that you had your party members with you when you're exploring these different locations first person felt very isolated and uh yeah and intimidating you felt yeah you felt alone and it's also something that felt really modern for the saturn as well obviously like i said it's got it had well we know it had very rudimentary 3d capabilities but they really utilized it well in this game like you don't have full 3d movement you're basically moving on a tile set going forwards backwards left and right which is all you need for navigation here although like you could like stand and look up and down if you want to not that it's any benefit but i guess you know obviously they had to find something to do with all the buttons on the saturn pad that nobody ever used and something else that ties into this is is the way the mapping system works for the game which i i, I really really liked and was is very satisfying so each tile you move to in the game appears up on your map as you explore it and a couple more squares that are linked to it and it's quite clear where the paths stop and where there are more paths to explore and you know that if you search down like a dead end there's always a good chance you're going to find an item or a weapon or a pixie it was just really nicely done and it just sort of like i don't know it encouraged you to explore it felt you you felt sort of safe exploring because it was very clear where you were and yeah like i said it's just a little thing but yeah i don't know like i said when i was younger it was very intimidating this game it was so big and it was so for me so complex at that time that it took me quite a while before i like started the game on my own and played through it on my own uh, and and so little things like that in the game just like really helped really helped me feel sort of at ease and sort of knowing how to play it and to be honest that's probably all the aspects of the game that are worth mentioning oh sorry hang on a minute sorry there's somebody at the door oh hello oh my toy sakuraba Oh, what's what's this? <laughs> oh, pro- probably the best video game soundtrack of all time. Do, do, do you need a signature for that? Okay, thank. No, no, no. I'll I'll disinfect it in a moment. Don't worry. No, I've got some wipes. <laughs> no, oh, hang on. Sorry, no, my dogs dogs trying to get out. No, 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 no. no. All right. Yep. Uh, yeah. Have a good day. Okay. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, you too. Okay. He's nice. Was that real? <laughs> <laughs> The music in this game is extraordinary. From the epic title screen to the very first area you go into, Desire Minds, it's got this strange time signature. It's got like a whole tone scale, but it's so atmospheric. It's too incredible for words. And like this quality never lets up. There's about 40 tracks on the game soundtrack and every single one of them is just a phenomenal feat of composition. It is truly the work of a genius of exceptional musicianship 
given the freedom to experiment to his heart's desire. There's every time signature under the sun. Like, it's got all kinds of strange and fascinating modal scales at play. There are still some tracks, like, I don't know what time signature they're in. Like, it's impossible to keep up. It's just extraordinary. Like, you've got this beautiful and deeply atmospheric music in, in Rich Dungeon and the West Shrine. And you've got these great pumping battle and boss themes. Then you've got like the driving 5-4 rhythm of the East Shrine music that is just beyond brilliant. Like, there's a track on the soundtrack to Ori and the Blind Forest that's in 5-4. And that's the first time I've heard that time signature in a video game soundtrack since Shine in the Holy Ark. Like, for someone like me who was raised on progressive rock, this soundtrack tapped into something very deep in my soul. And to be able to, like, appreciate it on such a deep level, I mean, at such a young age, that was certainly horrendously precocious. I, I am truly thankful for my proc education. Oh, there was also this like stunning piece of like church organ music that played when he visited the the church of Zod, which was, I mean, it's basically just a save point and the priest could do a few things. I think you could like revive members of your party and upgrade their class when they're, yeah, when you, your level got high enough or whatever. But the, the music was so flipping good. Like all you need to do is go in there to save, but I would stand there and just listen to it. I, I can't even describe why it's so good. It just, it is. It's got great arpeggios, a rousing climax and... Like most of the tracks actually do this, like rather than just have it sort of you know play through the theme and then and then you know repeat the track, a lot of the tracks have like a second the second playthrough of the track essentially is more developed. So it's always it always feels like it gives you that sort of momentum. Like you feel that something's always growing and always building. You always want to hear sort of like actually if like a, a bit of a thumping bass or like some some more strings are going to come in on the second playthrough. How could this theme get even better? And it does every time. It's it's absolutely exceptional. You can get like there's a really cool like studio album recorded that Matoi Sakuraba did with really like different arrangements of the pieces. It, it feels like a, a progressive rock album. It, it really, really does. Like he really goes off piste with some of like the, the the experimental jazz stuff and some fusion and all kinds of mad shit. Like he combines a lot of the themes that are used in the game to to sort of yeah build something entirely new. And it's great to hear like the music on more more proper instruments. I think a lot of it's keyboards, but at least it's you know it's not running off the Saturn's MIDI sound chip <laughs> uh, because like I mean nothing can ever capture the same atmosphere as those like MIDI voices on there and like the mad nature of it being like MIDI programmed in the game rather than like a CD soundtrack on the disc because it's like about two hours of music on there. Like you couldn't you couldn't fit that on a on a game disc anyway. So the fact that it was just programmed, it meant that there were moments in the game where if the game got a little bit overloaded, it would compromise the MIDI programming so like the game couldn't <laughs> keep up. So like there was in one track, there was this like mad like pitch bend that happened, just like whatever. And then if like you ran into a wall or did something that like triggered a sound effect whilst that was happening, sometimes the pitch bend would just fly absolutely off the handle because it didn't know what to do it didn't like it, it, it like didn't read its endpoints it'd be like <laughs> whatever it was so ridiculous it was really really it was it was yeah i mean obviously i didn't understand why it was doing that at the time but yeah it's a fun thing to sort of think about and uh and realize and it's nice to know to know sort of roughly why it did those sort of things but i mean we were obsessed with the music like we would sit in locations on pause and just listen to the music like me and Alex, like we even devised our own counterpoint melodies for some of the music that we would like sing along when we went into a battle. 
it's yeah, I cannot speak highly enough of it. It's it's the reason it is the reason why this game is so high up on my list, probably because the music and the memories of of of, of this game are are so special to me. Like it is the very essence of the relationship with my brother. Like it's the conglomeration of all of the different areas of music that I love, coupled with my ardent love of video games, and it augments what is already a brilliantly constructed, perfectly paced, wonderfully written game to a much much higher level. Like we've said before, no one really had a Saturn, and I think between this and Panzer Dragoon Saga, people that didn't have a Saturn missed out on two of the greatest adventures that video games have ever had to offer. If I won the lottery, one of the things I would fund would be a remake of Shining the Holy Ark. Not that the game needs it necessarily, but it would be wonderful to sort of like fully realise all of the details in the game that were probably just parts of my imagination, filling in, you know, the the missing frames and uh, and the dead pixels. <laughs> and I'd love to be able to introduce it to a new audience without saying, sorry guys, you're going to have to get on eBay and get a optical drive emulator and blah, 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 spend hundreds of pounds to get a Saturn set up. I would love to see it. I'd love to see it. I'd, I'd just, to be honest, I'd settle for a port on the Switch or, oh, imagine if there was a port on the 3DS. Oh my God. It's, it's the dream. That actually is the dream. That's what I'd fund. <laughs> I'd just fund a straight up port on the 3DS. That's it. Like, yeah, it's a top to bottom masterpiece. It's my favorite RPG. It's my favorite Saturn game. It's my third favourite video game of all time, Shining the Holy Ark. Bloody hell. <laughs> this this is, I think, of, of all the games that I knew were on your list somewhere, this could be not just the most Jonathan Dunn game of all time, the most Dunn family game of all time. Yeah. Because it's the one I remember when I first came to your house when I was really, really wee, just a young boy. <laughs> that was the time that... You know, I, I assume you had played it by that point, but your brother Alex was was going through it again and again. Mm. And I remember sitting down and, and watching him try and try to tackle, I think, like the final boss or something. Yeah, and just being utterly bemused because I'd had no exposure to RPGs at all. Mm. I'd, I'd had zero exposure to to dungeon crawling RPGs, mm. and you know, everything was was just completely out of this world to my little brain that had grown up on just Mega Drive <laughs> action arcade ports primarily. Yeah. Like I, I haven't played the game properly outside of watching you play it. And yet I know the music from Desire Minds. <laughs> I, I could hum it to you now. I, yeah. I could go through the whole thing from the amount of times it was playing in your household or yeah. Alex was playing it on the piano or yeah. you'd later learn it on the keyboard. <laughs> like yeah. it's all, all these things. It's, it really is connected to what I remember, like the, the beginning of our friendship yeah. kind of popping around to your house and it, it just being part of the walls almost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What what a game. What I say what a game. What what an experience I had of a game that I didn't play. <laughs> <laughs> I mean the strange thing is I, I haven't played another Shining game. I think you know I would have played Shining Force 3 if I could have got it on the on the Saturn. Yeah. But you know I never was able to get a hold of a copy and it always felt strange knowing that it was only part of a full game and yeah that, you know obviously the we didn't even get trans- the second and third parts didn't it was there three parts I yeah. think yeah three parts yeah the other two parts never even got translated I mean that's why I was so thrilled when I got Golden Sun you know that felt like the next shining game that I experienced and Minty I know that obviously for somebody who is so well versed in JRPGs. You haven't had a huge amount of experience with Shining games either, have you? Not particularly, no. No, I played the demo of the latest one, Shining Resonance Refrain. Yeah. That 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 was it, really, to be honest. Sega games. What can you say? Well, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Did you, Jonathan Dunn, ever play any of the 
I think they're called Etrian Odyssey games on the DS or 3DS. I played the demo for one of them, and uh, yeah, because the the mapping system in that yeah. really reminded me of yeah. Shine of the Holy Ark. That's that's all I know about it. That it's it's one that people yeah. who enjoy mapping <laughs> always go, "Oh, it's a good game." Do love a bit of cartography, <laughs> but <laughs> other than that, I know nothing about it other than it's a first person dungeon crawler. So I thought maybe that would be something you might want to check out. One of those titles. Yeah, I definitely played the demo on the 3DS. I can't remember anything about the game apart from the mapping system. But I think it was the fact that it was Etrian Odyssey 4 that I was yeah. like, I don't feel like, I feel like I need to go back and, and start from the beginning, blah, 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 blah. The reason why I've never really played a Final Fantasy game. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm hungry for, I'm hungry to play Shine of the Holy Ark again. I'm either going to get my Saturn out or I'm going to get Etrian Odyssey or play Backspace Buken, which reminded me of Shine of the Holy Ark as yeah. well which was really really nice but yeah i i hope that you both get to play it at some point i from what i've read like the other shining games like after shining force 3 it really was a departure from from sort of their style and and sort of how they worked so um, i'm you know it's one of the reasons why i've never bothered to 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 pick one up because i thought "Mm, it's not going to be it's not going to be the same it's not going to you know it's not going to build on on shining holy ark for me so why bother but yeah, I'd love for you both to play it at some point. And well, we can hope and dream that a port or a remake or something will come one day. One day, maybe. I've recently added it to my ret- retro hard drive that I've been building. So it is in there. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Give it a go. Give it a go. Minty, I'll, I'll I'll show you it. I'll show you it at some point. We'll play through it together. Oh, that'd be nice. Yeah. Get yeah. it on YouTube. Come on. Film it. Yeah. I want to see, I want to see both your faces. <laughs> Let's try and do that soon. There is something special about just enjoying a game on the couch with somebody. There is. Tell me I first enjoyed Shining the Holy Art. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, was, it was really nice hearing about how it was how it was sort of emblematic of you and your brother's relationship. I think that's, that's, that, that's the thing that touched my heart most. I met him along the way as well. And the journeys we've gone on. <laughs> so there we go. That was my third favourite video game of all time. And it was... Shining the Holy Ark. If you've enjoyed this episode, or if indeed you've enjoyed any of our episodes, please do share the podcast on your social media platforms and engage with us on ours. You can find them all at linktr.ee forward slash O3C podcast. YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, other things possibly. Who knows what's on there? Go and have a look. Let me know. Or you can reach out to us individually. You can find me on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. You can find me at Chaz underscore Hodges. And I'll be there at Clement underscore Boo. And if you're really enjoying what we're doing, we would love it if you checked out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash our three cents. And have a look at some of the perks you can get for for supporting us in, in in a more financial sense, which we very much appreciate. And please do join us next week where we're bringing you our next bonus episode. And it's a whopper because we have on the show the absolute legend that is Giles Goddard a man who was one of the first programmers from the west to be brought over and employed by Nintendo he programmed the bloody Mario face at the opening of Mario 64 he did 1080 snowboarding he did steel diver and he's also recently made a virtual reality snowboarding game we talked to him about his whole career and particularly focusing on carved snowboarding on the on the oculus uh, it's a fantastic episode he's got some great stories to tell can't wait to share it with you Booyah! and now a word from our sponsor and now a word from our sponsor and now a word from our sponsor on Apocrypals, we talk about the parts of the Bible that a lot of people skip over. 
like the wizard battles, the angel jacuzzis, a goat full of sins, 500 drunk elephants, and a man named Porky Party. And yes, that's all really in there. All this and more on Apocrypals every other week on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Welcome to Casual Magic, the show where we explore the fun side of magic together. I'm your host, Shivam Putt, and each week we delve into everything from casual formats to explorations of creatures and card types to interviews with designers of the game. At Casual Magic, we believe that it just isn't magic without the gathering. Come along and play!